All right, it is time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Morning, Keith. Good morning. Okay, uh, Selena Robinson, the finance minister, has made it official now. She's not running mm-hmm. for the NDP leadership. I mean, this was this seemed to be the only challenge that David Eby could conceivably face here, potentially for this job. So she's out. Where does that leave everything now? So Eby all by himself. So far, there's no other candidate to declare. You can't walk around the, the building here, the legislature, without bumping into someone talking about Eby running for for, for a leader. What's going to be interesting, if no one else declares, he will become premier uh, sooner than later. The December 3rd leadership date disappears. There won't be a, a race. There won't be a vote. I think I've double-checked the rules. It'll either be September 4th or October 4th would be the day, if there's only a single candidate, that that person would become premier. Because okay, I've, so EB could be premier here sooner than we think here. Yes, in uh, fact, unless there's another candidate. Now, yeah. there's a couple of hurdles facing candidates. $15,000 registration fee plus a requirement to raise another $25,000 in fundraising yeah. uh, in a relatively short period of time. And if you're not, if you have no hope of winning, yeah. what's the point of, uh, of, of running on uh, with basically false hopes? Just talked to public safety minister Mike Farmer, tells me he's backing EB. Uh, I'm told EB has the support of at least 30, if not more than 40 MLAs in the caucus. So I think you're going to see an avalanche of MLAs supporting EB uh, very quickly. And that will, again, further dampen the chance of anyone uh, squaring off against him. Okay, assuming that this is just uh, an express elevator ride for EB to the top job here in the province, what kind of administration would an EB government sort of pursue? Like, would you think question, new, ev- new priorities here? Everybody's asking that, that question. Um, does he shuffle his cabinet? Yeah. Does he, John Horgan, I did a piece about this uh, about a month ago. John Horgan has governed in a way no other premier has governed in terms of not shuffling his cabinet. The only changes he's made was as a result of retirements before the 2020 election are not running again. And I think uh, a couple other minor changes necessitated by that. But by and large, uh, many ministers have been... Uh, Adrian Dix, I think next month, will be the longest-serving health minister since the 1950s. Uh, wow. Lana Poffin will be the longest-serving agriculture like in consecutive years. David Eby is the longest-serving attorney general, I think, since um, Robert Bonner under W.C. Bennett. So we haven't seen a cabinet shuffle for five years. You know, we, you and I have covered this long enough to know we used to see them like every couple of years. Sure. There's pretty significant shuffles, too. So that's one of the big things to keep an eye on with David Eby. Uh, does he shuffle his cabinet, and when would he do it? Uh, does he call an early election? That's been speculated about. Uh, I don't think about a major course change in policy because – this government, unlike a lot of other previous governments at this point in the mandate, is still very, fairly popular. Yeah. It's certainly well ahead of the BC Liberals. So I'm not sure if the ship's going in the right direction, why you would steer in a different course. Speaking of a potential cabinet shuffle, just thinking about Selena Robinson and her thought process here and her decision to not run for the job. She had said last week she was thinking about it. I wonder if we speculated yesterday that maybe she and Eby are not, mm-hmm. are not the closest in cabinet. If she had decided to run, she would have had to step away, step down as finance minister, mm-hmm. so she could not be a cabinet minister. Let's say EB is a slam dunk to win, even whether she runs or not. Does that mean, I wonder if she was thinking like, man, not only would I not be finance minister, a job she appears to like, she might have a tough choice even having any kind of significant cabinet role in, a, in an EB government. Yeah, I, I don't think she was seriously considering the run at this uh, yeah. at all. I think it was just sort of public pronouncement to keep your... Uh, all your options open. But yeah, and you, you, if uh, John Horgan has set down the rules that if you, uh, which is what the BC Liberals had in 2011, which is when you're in government, if you want for leader, you got to step out of your portfolio. 
and someone that would become acting financer. Uh, David Eby, someone's going to have to become acting attorney general. I assume it's probably going to be Murray Rankin, who's a lawyer in caucus. Um, yeah, so I think a lot of factor. I think when Robinson looked around the room and realized the vast majority of her colleagues in caucus are going to be backing David Eby, um, what's the point? And when, how do you think Eby matches up against Kevin Falcon, the liberal leader? Yeah, that remains to be seen. I mean, it's, it's certainly – he's no – John Horgan's a different style. EB's got a different style. He's a bit more, you know, not as not as a man of the people as John Horgan is. Horgan had that real common touch with folks. Yeah. Not many politicians have that. And David Eby is more sort of comes across as an academic type approach to yeah. uh, politics. That's not the same populist appeal that John Horgan had. So it's a, it's going to be an interesting matchup between him and uh, him and Kevin Falcon. Do you think the Liberals, if the Liberals could have a choice, they could run against EB or Horgan? Who do you think they'd choose? Oh, I think, EB, I, think. I think they pick Eby because yeah. they've already been pasted by Horgan. Yeah. Uh, so, no, I mean, uh, Horgan's, uh, again, the polls continue to demonstrate one of the more popular premiers in, in Canada. So I think they'd take Eby over Horgan in a heartbeat. Okay, we're following that. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't, don't underestimate David Eby. I mean, yeah. uh, he's a yeah. very smart guy. Uh, and yes. I do think he has some, he has some curb appeal. Uh, he just has to figure out a way to expand it. Okay, we speculated on yesterday's show that... Uh, Suk Dhaliwal, the Liberal MP, would step forward to run for Surrey Mayor. He did, in fact, make it official yesterday. Let's have a listen to what he had to say. Suk Dhaliwal. Over the last four years, we have seen a divisive politics, unprecedented division, partisanship, no focus on the citizens of Surrey. This has to end. Okay, so he's talking about some of the turmoil here under Doug McCallum. He wants to bring in the Canadian race. You now have two former MPs running for mayor, a former MLA running for mayor. Still haven't heard definitively, from, unless someone knows better than me, from Gordy Hogue, another former yeah, MP his name and a has former been MLA. Is he going to run? Loaded. Um, so right now you've got a four person race. It could be a five person race. Uh, does someone win with 25% of the vote or less? Yeah. Suk Dollywall's got a machine though, too. I mean, yeah. he had a lot of people out for his announcement yesterday. He had a big crowd and, you know, this, he's got a political operation there in Surrey. It could be tough to beat. Tough to beat, but also when you've got a four or five person field, all of them yeah. with, you know, um, I'm going to say strong candidates, but there's no weak candidates there. Uh, again, they all have their loyal loyal base. Very few people vote in municipal elections, so this is the key to winning this race from all of these folks' perspective: is who can pull the vote out. Yeah. That's what this is all about. No one, there's not going to be a huge turnout, and you don't need to get thirty percent to win. You just need twenty-five to thirty, even less than twenty-five. You've got a tight, tight four or five-way split. Do you give Doug McCallum a chance? I'm sure. not. I'm not convinced he is actually going to run again. No. He says he is, but if he who does knows? run, could he? Could he win? Of course. Sure. I mean, he, he's, I think he's got a, a loyal, determined base, and it doesn't have to be very big. If you've got that crowded a field, um, a, a rather weak showing can still bring it home. So I, I, I agree with you. I'm not sure McCallum's going to run. But if he does run, I wouldn't discount any of these guys' chances. Okay, that is that is shaping up as a very interesting race. Okay, let's talk about this uh, pretty crazy meeting of the Vancouver Park Board oh, yeah. last night. So the Van, the Stanley Park bike lane, once again on the agenda last night and this was a short meeting because it got a little out of control they shut it down so let's have a listen to this here now so you're going to hear a lawyer vancouver lawyer phil rankin here he's been a guest on this show he has been advocating for people with disabilities and who are elderly he says the stanley park bike lane impedes their access mm -hmm. into stanley park so he's very opposed to the bike lane and you'll hear him facing off here against vancouver park board commissioner camille dumont who is the the chair of the uh the meeting last night 
Um, let's have a listen to this. Closing the park to cars without having a climate evidence of how much is going to be saved is uh, is uh, injustice to people that are disabled and seniors. I'm also aware that it's because this report is so ideological. If you're seeing your staff is ideological, your staff is now perceived by okay, the okay. Okay, okay, I'm sorry for the audio quality there. I'm not sure what happened there, but... Um, they adjourned the meeting prematurely. They, they adjourned the meeting. Um, you know, I remember covering the Vancouver Parks Board as a cub reporter way back when for the Vancouver Sun. And my very first meeting I went to, and I thought, why does this even exist? I mean, this is a unique institution that um, a lot of people are unhappy with over the years. I mean, some people say, oh, it's part of the charm of having your own parks board. But it's not really a lot of other cities' model of governance. So the other thing that happened last night, uh, and this guy's getting a lot of attention on Twitter, is they had a young employee stand up at the mic and saying that he's been harassed and bullied, and he was suddenly shut down. By management. Uh, yeah, and he was shut down, uh, and they it was told to refer this human resources. So there was a lot going on last night at that parks board, uh, and a lot's going to be going on the next time they meet as well. Well, they're going to meet again tonight. Yeah, 6 o'clock. 6 6.30. 6.30, I believe, tonight they reconvene, and they had a they lot got 42, of people scheduled. 42 speakers, speak. I think, yeah. uh, that they shut down last night. They're going to have to revisit it. And they still have to deal with this issue of an employee uh, claiming bullying in the workplace. Yeah, and I'm sure that was very bizarre. Like, it's not often you see an employee mm. stand up in front of a city, uh, like a, a park board council like that, and start saying, I've been, I've been bullied by the management mm-hmm. the, at this place. And that, that was quickly shut down as well. So a very strange <laughs> meeting of the park board. But park board is a strange institution. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of people question the, Why the, the need have for it. it. Yeah. Um, again, and when they step in it like this, it further raises those questions. All right, it's Baldry's Beat. I got lots of open phone lines here, so if you give me a call right now, you're going to get through 604-280-9898 is the number to call, star 9898 on your cell. Phone me and tell me what you think about that Stanley Park bike lane if if you want. That meeting of the Vancouver Park Board really got shut down real quick over the uh, bike lane issue. got hot and heavy there last night. Call me and tell me what you think should be done about it. One of the central issues there is whether that single lane of vehicle traffic into the park now is unfair to people who are disabled or the elderly, people who can't ride a bike into the park. Phone me and tell me what you think about it. 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. Keith Baldry is my guest. Eric on the line in West Van. Hi, Eric. What do you think? Hey, Mike. Well, amongst other things, I can't wait until, I mean, not that I want it to happen, but some old lady at the tea house has a jammer and first responders can't get through simply because there's a horse-drawn carriage and there isn't a pull-out lane for the horse-drawn carriage for at least 10 minutes down that single lane road through Stanley Park. I have a, I have a relative that works at the tea house. He's had to drive people out of the park because taxis won't come into the park anymore. Those tourist buses... They used to take people around Stanley Park. They don't go through the park anymore. This park board is, like, last I checked, there was already a bike lane around Stanley Park. It was called a seawall. And if you're in a hurry because the seawall is taking too long, why are you riding around the park? Okay, Eric, thank you very much for the call. Keith, yeah, I haven't been to Stanley Park for a while, but having grown up there, um, yeah, I mean, it is a, obviously a growing issue of frustration for many people there. Um I think a lot of people argue, why mess with a good thing? Why? What was the need for the, something like this? Now, the problem with the seawall sometimes, of course, there are collisions and confrontations as a result of some aggressive bikers or people not getting out of the way. But, I mean, so, if, you're, if you're a cyclist, you love separated bike lanes, you know, mm-hmm. especially yep. through something well, somewhere safe. as beautiful as Stanley Park. So, of course, you, you would love it. But, 
You know, I, I spoke to Vancouver Park Board Commissioner yesterday who said that if we go back before pre-pandemic, when the cyclists were sharing sharing the, the lane of traffic with, with vehicles, was there a concerted movement or demand for a, a, a dedicated bike lane in Stanley Park? Let me, she was saying, like, she doesn't recall, like, things seemed to be okay. There didn't seem to be a, there seemed to be a solution in search of a problem. That, that bike lane seemed to come out of nowhere. At yeah. a time, remember, bike lanes were all the rage. Remember the Burrard Street Bridge bike sure. lane, the Dunsmere bike lane? Always the source of controversy. I think the, the Parks Board decided to get a piece of the action. <laughs> yeah, let's go to Maureen on the line in Langley. Hi, Maureen. What do you think? Hi, how are you? I'm good. Yeah, my uh, concern mainly was just uh, accessibility to the park. If you have family, you're packing a day's supplies into the park. Uh, parking, you just got to deal with that's life. But not all of us are taking bites from Langley. Uh, elderly people that enjoy a day in the park to have a walk or look around. It's just taken away the whole aspect and meaning of Stanley Park and just to enjoy the park with family and friends. It's just become pylons everywhere, which looks like a really ugly entrance into the park. Mm. And it's just a shame for us to have the park and not it be enjoyed by everybody. Thank yeah, you. So you certainly turned uh, the jewel of, of um, Vancouver, if not BC, into a negative experience for many people, which is why unless you're seeing, a cyclist, unless you're cyclist you who are a minority. So um, this is why you've got 42 people lined up on a microphone tonight. It should be interesting. Yeah. No, this is why so many people are fired up on it. And um, yeah, there will be, I'm sure, a lot of people ready to talk at that meeting once again when it reconvenes tonight. 604-280-9898. Well, when you get, when you get to someone the likes of Phil Rankin involved, he's a very well-known lawyer, very well-known advocate if he's yeah. out there sticking up for the disability uh, community disabled community you know that this is getting a lot more serious than it had been sure star 9898 on your cell is the number karen in vancouver hi karen good morning um i just wanted to comment that i listened to a park board commissioner on global news this morning and she said not even in this report that was submitted to the commissioners was mentioned that i begin i believe starting next year and over the next few years they're going to be building a new um, some kind of water line or whatever under the uh, Lionsgate Bridge, and there's going to be heavy dump truck traffic through Stanley Park. So how hmm. is that going to be accommodated with one lane? Didn't know that. That's interesting. Um, truck traffic through Stanley Park is always going to be a sensitive uh, <laughs> issue, to say the least. I wasn't aware of that construction project under the Lionsgate Bridge. We'll have to look more into that. Mark on the line in North Van. Hi, Mark. you got 30 seconds here. Yeah, okay, two quick points. One, I, I would call myself a, an avid cyclist. I see no need for the bike lanes. Leave us with the cars. We can navigate, no problem, and mm -hmm. go as faster or even faster sometimes in the cars. Uh, second point, the guy that phoned that was needing the two canes, if you're going to keep the bike lanes, why not put them on the left side? Makes a ton more sense. That would be better for the riders and safer for everyone so the drivers can get into the parking without crossing the bike lane. Thanks for the call. Sounds like you should be call, uh, speaker number 43 tonight at that <laughs> meeting. Those are very good points you make.